The following sermon is from Christ Church Port Orange. For more information, find us online at joinwithjesus.org. Thanks for listening. Okay, if you have your Bible, you're open to Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, first book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. We're going to pause the series we've been in, The Power of Words, for a special Father's Day message, which came to me of late. And so we are going to jump right in, and I want to read to you Matthew chapter 3, verses 16. Uh, in 17, uh, and then we'll pray. Matthew chapter 3, 16 and 17. This, this occurs during the baptism of Jesus before his temptation in the wilderness and at the outset of his earthly ministry. Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Verse 16. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, listen to these, you you wanna hear a voice from heaven? Anybody looking for a sign this morning? Here is a, a literal voice from heaven. Here's what it said. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. That may not be hard for you to imagine our heavenly father speaking those words over his eternal and begotten son in whom there was no fault, no sin. But this morning, I want to convince you that these are God's words over you as well. And I don't think until we understand our father's heart and our father's disposition and our father's perspective that we will come to experience his fathering, which leads to all of his blessings. And so God, I thank you this morning you want to speak. God, I thank you for your word, which is powerful, eternal, preserved for us, empowered by your Holy Spirit, capable of of dividing all the way down to the deepest parts of our heart, our insecurities, our doubts, our fears, our desires, and rightly dividing them that we can see the good from the bad, the right from the wrong, the healthy from the destructive. And so God, we are, we are here to hear from you. Lord, open our hearts to receive, open our ears to hear, and give us minds to understand. In Jesus' mighty name, and all God's people said, amen. 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 About, about four years ago, um, I, I, Tiffany and I had a little conflict, actually, and it bumped me back into the reality that many of us experience, and that is that there's patterns of behavior in our own lives that tend to be destructive and recurring. Anybody know what it's like to keep running into the same problems over and over and over and over again? Unfortunately, they take shape a little differently, and sometimes they get a little smaller and a little smaller and a smaller, but it's not that encouraging. Uh, and oftentimes, we're looking for something to make big changes. And one of the small tools that I discovered during that period of time in 2018 that has become a real game changer for me is a practice of daily affirmations. Not, I am good enough, I am smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. Not those affirmations. But the affirmations of stating truth that God has revealed that uh, over, overpowers the, the default positions of myself that I tend to to believe in without even thinking about it. And so I have this growing list of statements that have become really dependent prayer. And at the outset of this Father's Day, I wanted to share one of them with you. Um, 
this is what I've written, so if it doesn't sound like what you have written, you can, you know, write your own. But this is one of them. Uh, I have only four people on this earth that call me daddy. My children are the fruit of my oneness with Tiffany and the greatest legacy we leave behind. Each of my children is unique, made on purpose to reflect the character of God and to be a gift to the world. They each deserve and require individual attention and appreciation. My calling is to develop them to their fullest capacity and support them with love for as long as I live and beyond. Every day I read that to myself because every day I need to be reminded that that is what I want to do. Because while I can say that's what I want to do, it's easy for me to wake up every day preoccupied with my plans and treat my children like a distraction from what I want to do. And I don't want to be that dad. And the only way I know to not be that dad is to remind myself of the dad that I want to be. And as we consider uh, what God's word to all of us might be on this Father's Day, I have a special eye towards all the dads in the room, but I also believe that this message is for every human being that is alive and listening. And that is that we are called by God to leave a legacy of love. Fatherhood has a lot of perspectives in our world and in our culture. Most of us have some concept of what fatherhood looks like. Uh, I'm imagining that in this time and place, mine is not too dissimilar from your own. Uh, It's easy for me to think about uh, in fatherhood, I want to be a little bit better than my dad. I kind of take all the good things I got from him and I try to put them into practice and all the things that I didn't appreciate, try to not do those. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? Where we do the old dad 2.0 approach. And in our best days, we end up being a slight improvement upon the previous generation. But that is not what the calling of God is, nor is that the offer of God's power. And some of us grew up with a fantastic dad. Others of us grew up with a dad who provided nothing more than a perfectly bad example. Some people in the room grew up in a completely fatherless world and had a mentor or someone who was influential. And so the experience of fatherhood from our experience of our earthly father to who we are trying to be as dads who are in the room varies. Um, But I think it's clear from the scriptures that God's design and desire for dads is to leave a legacy of love, is to leave a legacy of love. Sometimes when people talk about legacy, they're talking about money. Uh, we, we do legacy gifts, so we help people to plan out their estate, and, and we do that for free, and we work with our mission partner, Christian Financial Resources, and they'll help you to put it together an estate and a trust for free, which is very expensive. You have your lawyer do it, and the only thing they ask is that you leave in your trust a legacy gift for your sponsoring organization, which was Christchurch. A bunch of you have already done that. And so we talk about legacy in terms of money. But it is easy to work very hard your whole life, save up a lot of money, and then leave it to someone when you die and have made no investment in the arena of love. Do you know that? And God is, God is never preoccupied with money or wealth or the transference of inheritance. Uh, those things are practical and necessary. And you'll find some references in the scripture. What God is preoccupied with is the influence of love and that we would come to reflect God's character to our children and that they would receive from us what no amount of money can buy. And that is a legacy of love. How many of you guys would like to leave a legacy of love? What we find from Matthew chapter three and in this brief story 
which we'll be unable to cover all of the incredible details of chapter three and how it fits into the gospel of Matthew. But I wanna hone in on this idea of fatherhood on Father's Day, because I believe what Matthew is writing and what's present in this passage is what makes it possible for us to leave a legacy of love. To leave a, a legacy of love, you need a fatherly foundation. You can't build a life that will leave love to your children without building upon the foundation of the good, good father and a true understanding of who he actually is. And you will never know who he is actually until you've encountered the revelation of our heavenly father in the person of Jesus. And here at the baptism of Jesus, something unique and powerful occurs where the fullness of God himself is seen in all three parts, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus, who's fulfilling his mission to represent God and to become a substitute for sinful mankind, is present, and in his baptism, he is inaugurated into his ministry. And in that moment, after his initial obedience and inauguration into ministry, the heavens are opened, the Spirit of God descends to fall upon him, and a voice speaks, a fatherly voice. And so Matthew is presenting for his Jewish readers the reality of their monotheistic faith that the one God is actually three in one and Jesus is that God. But what he, what, he, what he remembers and records of this voice in heaven is what I want to just echo over your lives uh, today and tomorrow and all week and for the rest of your life, that whenever you approach and encounter the living God, his words over your life are Behold, this is my beloved child with whom I am well pleased. And if you wake up to that father in heaven, it will position you to build a life that will in fact leave a legacy of love. Now, I don't, I don't think uh, it's more clear in our generation, although it's very much in our, the popular media ignored, that the scourge upon this generation and this culture is fatherlessness. And in fact, if there's one solution we could bring to all of our cultural and all of our world's problems, if you were to begin to attack just this one thing, you would see improvement across the board. Now, there's so much material to back this up. I don't know if you know this or not, but 18.4 million children, that's one in four, live every day without a biological step or adoptive father at home. 25% of human Americans do not have a father. Research shows that when a child is raised in a father absent home, they are affected in the following ways. They're four times more likely to be at risk of poverty, to have behavioral problems. They have a, twice the risk of infant mortality. They're more likely to go to prison, more likely to commit crime, more likely to become pregnant as a teen, more likely to face abuse and neglect, more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol, to suffer obesity, and to drop out of school. It's just statistically Conversely, children who have involved fathers, not even involved Christian fathers, not even good fathers, just dad is in the room. Listen to the outcomes. They're at lower risk for infant mortality, low birth weight, emotional and behavioral problems, neglect and abuse, injury, obesity, poor school performance, teen pregnancy, incarceration as juveniles, alcohol and substance abuse, criminal activity, and suicide. Just by having a dad in the house. 
They're more, and, and, and this should not surprise us. I know it surprises some people or some people try to say, no, that's not the problem. This is the problem. We need to help everybody flourish from the inside out. Whatever's on the inside of them needs to become reality and no one should stop that from happening. But if you read the scriptures, God's design is always to put a man and a woman together forever and for that stable home to become the foundation for society. Do you realize that? And the fact that we find that bears out statistically should not be a surprise to us. And so I'm talking to, I'm preaching to the choir a little bit. I think all of us are going, yes, dads are important. And yes, I want to be a good one. And so I want to hone in this morning on how is it that we leave a legacy of love? Well, it requires a fatherly foundation. I did a little bit of research in Matthew's gospel because I wondered how prominent this, this features. I discovered that uh, there are 69 references to fathers in Matthew's gospel. Of the 28 chapters of Matthew's gospel, only five do not have a direct reference to a father. And so I went to those chapters to find out what's going on. And in four of those five chapters, there's uh, meaningful and impactful stories about sons and daughters and the fathers are implied. And in fact, there's only one chapter in the whole gospel where a father is absent. I wonder if you know which chapter that is. Chapter one opens with a genealogy. You know the part you skipped because it reads more like the phone book than the story. Matthew 1, 1 and 2, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. And you get three sets of 14, father, 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 father. You see where this is going? You get to verse 16, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called the Christ. Chapter 28 ends with the Great Commission. I'm sure you've heard it before, probably familiar. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven on earth, on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, what? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus does a revelatory work and Matthew is sees the importance of conveying that to a Jewish audience who has a high degree of reverence for God, but a low personal connection with God. Jesus comes to reveal to a Jewish audience that God is not just the father, but he is my father. And that reality permeates the entire gospel. I wonder if you'll take the time to experience that for yourself. It took me two and a half hours to read the whole book. But it, but it moves forward. Now, what I want to do is just zoom out of verse 17 and take a look at Matthew chapter three in its entirety. And we get introduced to a very a special character, a very interesting fellow, uh, John the Baptist. Do you guys know John the Baptist? We know he's a Baptist because he wears a tie. Just kidding, just kidding, church humor. Chapter three and verse one. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and here's his message, verse two. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Verse four, now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. 
Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Couple interesting facts. Do you guys wonder why we have something of John's wardrobe and diet included in this passage? Disconnected from those cultures of the ancient Near East, these things can be somewhat meaningless to us. But the point that Matthew is making is that John was a bit of a wild figure that he was uh, by, by purpose impoverished. He actually had a very wealthy and well-known well-to-do father, Zechariah, who was involved in the temple service as a Levite. And yet uh, John chose a different kind of life. Uh, locusts and honey is what people who were completely impoverished ate. He had no chef's kitchen. I don't know how you would like make a cultural, I guess if you only eat at 7-Eleven and McDonald's, like that's it. You have, no, you have a microwave in your hotel room and all you, you don't want to heat up those old fries. And so you're getting the dollar menu at McDonald's and you're hitting up the 7-Eleven for a donut and coffee and you're living on $3 a day. This is the point. John was not in it for the prestige or the power or the wealth. And yet he was the one who was heralding the truth of God. And I love this because we live in a world where in order to be heard, you have to be flashy, you have to be beautiful, you have to be well-dressed, you, you have to fit in with the cultural elites, you have to have the sexiest Instagram to get people's attention. But here, John, in the wilderness, simply spoke the word of God and what happened? Everybody came to him because people are not hungry for flashy and splashy. People do not need a model that they can honor or worship. What they need is the word of God. What they need is to hear the good news of great joy for all people. What they need is life-saving deliverance from the sin we're born into and the destructive behaviors that destroy our lives. Can I get amen? And where the word of God is, there people will go. And so they were coming from Jerusalem and Judea and all the areas into the wilderness to hear from John and to be baptized by him as a posture of repentance before God to say, yes, we are sinful. I'm confessing that out loud and I am preparing myself for your coming deliverance. And the story thickens up. I love this in verse seven. You gotta love John. You get a little insight in him here. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. He's going hardcore. Now you have to recognize the Pharisees and the Sadducees did not get along. They were at odds with each other over all sorts of theological and practical things. And so they sat on these councils, kind of like senates, where they argued about things and got nothing done. Does that sound familiar to you? And so who's coming out to see John? The, the, the Democrats and the Republicans, the elitists and the corporatists, the greedy for power and the greedy for wealth. They were all coming out there to stand as judge over him. What's going on where all the people are showing up? Why are they interested in what he's saying? Let's put a stop to this. And he says, drain the swamp. That's what he says. You brood of vipers. Who even told you to come out here? You're the problem. Go, you're supposed to be the representatives of God. Why don't you go bear fruit in keeping with repentance? 
You're nothing but whitewashed tombs, Jesus would say. You're doing all this stuff on the outside. You're saying all the right things and looking all the right ways, but you are corrupt and destroying everything. He is vicious, John the Baptist. Verse 10, even now the ax is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I mean, get this imagery. Here's John. He's got the, the powerful, well-dressed, looked up to people who have all the positions of power and prestige. And he comes out there and he's going to chop you right down. This is incredible what he's saying here. Now, we, I don't have the time to bring us all into the ancient Near Eastern mindset about these Pharisees, but these Pharisees were the best thing going for the people of Israel. They were preserving the national identity under Roman oppression. And the thought was, if we can have enough reform, if you will do what we say, if you will just trust us and do what we say, we can bring about all of God's promises for Israel. And nothing's changed. That's the, that's the, that's the offer of all politicians today, isn't it? Just, just do what we say and everything will be fine. Stop thinking for yourselves, so dangerous. <laughs> and John says, you're, you're pushing the problem. The reality is that the kingdom of God is at hand and you don't know where it's coming, what it's gonna look like or how it's gonna sound, but God has sent his messenger. God has sent his messenger. Don't presume just because you're Abraham's children that you're good to go. You're not in the right boat of the right tribe. Doesn't matter how you live. He dissolves this collectivism mentality. And he says, God cares about your heart, your faith, your belief. And you can't live a life that's in keeping with the, the value and virtue of God unless you have bowed the knee to him personally. Woo! Called him out in front of everybody. And then he turns to his audience. I baptize you, verse 11, with water for repentance. He's gonna preach the gospel right here. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Woo. Buckle up, he says. This is only the pre-show. His winnowing fork is in his hand. This is how you separate grain from the chaff. You get the good from the bad. This is a picture of judgment. He will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff will burn with unquenchable fire. Bet he sounded like a Baptist preacher right there. The only way to really connect with uh, the categories John is talking about is to read the last two chapters of Malachi. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament, the last prophet of God, and the only final revelation the people of God had before a 400-year period of silence that John broke with his call to repentance. And he says, um, he says things like Malachi 3.1, behold, I send my messenger. He will prepare the way before me, John the Baptist, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come into his temple, Jesus, the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So he's talking first person and second person, a little confusing. Ah, Trinitarian theology, now I get it. But who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? He is like a refiner's fire and fuller soap. Jesus is coming to judge, but he is coming to save and judge. He's coming to die in your place so that he can bear the wrath that you deserve. And when the judgment comes, you are going to be grain and not chaff. Do you see this? Now, John, John didn't get all of this, but he got his part. Malachi 3, 6, and 7. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. You wanna know why you're not burned up right now? Because I'm the same, faithful to my promises. It's got nothing to do with you. You're not awesome. You're not wonderful. You don't do everything right. 
From the days of your fathers, you've turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. I love Malachi because God is speaking through Malachi and the people respond rhetorically like little children who are caught with their hand in the cookie jar. What are you doing? What? Me? I was simply replacing the lid. Why would you ever think I would steal a cookie? And chalk it all over your face. Seriously, how, how, how have we done wrong to you, God? And then God just calls them out. And it's all inside stuff. He says, yeah, you guys can fake the outside. Anybody can do that. But I see what's going on on the inside of you. You need a repentance of heart. You need a return of heart. You need to recognize your problem and come to, come to me with the problem. This is why they were coming to John the Baptist, confessing their sins. And this is the only way into the kingdom. Malachi 4, last little section here. For behold, the day is coming burning like an oven when all the arrogant and evildoers will be stubble. The day is coming, will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. What did John say? The ax is already at the root. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings and you will go out leaping like calves from the stall. He says, judgment is coming, but for those who who return in repentance to receive God's gift of salvation, to those who trust in God's messenger, the Lord's Christ, for those who come to him honestly with their own problems, but receive his forgiveness and salvation, instead of being consumed by the rising of the sun, you are going to be freed by the rising of the sun. Instead of being burnt up like chaff, you are gonna be welcomed in like the grain. You're gonna go out leaping. Instead of being broken, you are going to be healed. Do you see the difference? And so John is preaching the kingdom. Jesus in Matthew chapter four preaches the kingdom and he invites everybody to come and repent. And so how is it that some will be made alive and some will be destroyed? It all depends on your disposition towards Jesus. Will you believe that he is the one whom God has sent? Will his appearance say to you, you're not okay. Your problems are bigger than you think. And also you're not fooling anyone, especially not God. But he gave a substitute. He made a plan. He worked salvation so that in him, you could receive it by faith. And we just come to God and say, all right, I have problems, but you are God. I'm hearing your invitation and here I am. I'm confessing my sin, but I'm turning to you for acceptance into your kingdom. I'm fearing the Lord and therefore I'm being set free from the coming destruction. Do you see this? Do you see what God has done? You see what God, there's only one way and his name is Jesus. He's the perfect son. And this is what leads up John preaching the gospel about Jesus and what he was gonna do and how it was gonna fit into redemptive history and how it's gonna be offered to every person. And then in verse 13, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John. We read that. I don't know if you got, you guys are probably not familiar with ancient Near Eastern geography. That's a 150 mile walk. That's kind of a big deal. Jesus goes from where he lives, Galilee. Those in the Northern region shall see a great light. Those who live in darkness shall see a great light. That's where Jesus came from. He was prophesied to come from there. He went 150 miles South on foot to the Jordan to be baptized by John. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. How many of you guys would have the same? Jesus came to you and said, would you please baptize me? He'd be like, I can think we have this backwards. I'm the, I'm the broken human. I'm just trying to be, do what God called me to do. You're the savior of the world. But look what Jesus says. Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus says, I have to be 
become one with humanity in every single way so that they can become one with me in every single way. The only way you have a place in heaven is because Jesus lived your whole life for you, including your baptism of repentance. He didn't do this because he needed it. He did this because you needed it. That's what this baptism was about. And so he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And this brothers and sisters on this Father's Day is the voice you need to hear every single day. Because if you wake up looking at yourself, you're gonna think, I'm in trouble. At your best. And at your worst, you're gonna look for ways like the Pharisees and Sadducees, like the Israelites of the Old Testament to pretty yourself up on the outside and pretend the ugly inside doesn't exist. And so what you're being invited to is to listen to the voice of God because he has fulfilled all righteousness. When you trust in him, you become the righteousness of God. Do you realize this? For he who knew no sin became sin, that in him you might become the righteousness of God. That means you wake up to an approving father every morning. That means you wake up to new mercy. That means you wake up to not have to do anything for God to get something from God. That means you wake up, no matter how you feel, you have a God who is smiling upon you and eager to walk with you and help you in every conceivable way. That means that every single time you choose to open a channel of prayer to our heavenly father, he is pleased with you and you have his entire support. Isn't that good news? Listen, you, I need that. I need that. I need that because I can't be a good dad when I'm trying to be a good person to get attention for God. Do you realize that? I'm gonna run out of energy and effort super, super fast. Besides when I'm, when I'm disconnected from this reality, I start doing all these unhelpful things. I start trying to just take care of my own problems and they're a lot. Some of you don't know me very well. Ask those who do. We're all kind of a lot, aren't we? And when we're not healthy and whole, there's no way we're gonna be able to give love to the next generation, to our children. God's called us to leave a legacy of love. We can leave a legacy that is so powerful, that is so incredible, that it's literally gonna change the world. I wanna work with Tiffany to launch four incredible human beings into the future that can make this world a better place because of who they know and what they know and how they're willing to live. Do you hear that? Do you realize the exponential power of us coming to God and building our lives on a fatherly foundation that we might leave a legacy of love? And it is never too late. Some of you are like, well, I'm a great granddad and I kind of screwed up for three generations. <laughs> well, it's never too late. It's never too late to start. Tiffany's stepdad, um, I met him when we started dating. He and her mom dated for 27 years uh, before they finally got married. We always asked him, you know, 20 years ago, they've been together for seven, 15, 10 years, whatever it was. Hey, what, have you guys ever thought about getting married? Don't rush me. We're like, well, it's been two decades. I don't know, I don't know if I would use, <laughs> rushing doesn't seem like the whole. Um, and uh, he was raised Catholic. He was an orphan. He was totally abandoned by his father. Grew up on the streets, was in the military. He was a hardened guy who learned to take care of himself. He was real selfish, just really selfish. And he went to church every Sunday, went to mass every single Sunday. And the most amazing thing happened because he had a genuine faith, a genuine Catholic faith. But when he was, I want to say 70, he started reading the Bible for himself, a Catholic Bible, but he got a Bible and he actually started reading it. 
He was reading, he would read it every day for hours. And he would call me, he would go, did you know this was in the Bible? And I would go, yeah, I did. I'm a Protestant, I knew that, you know? Because I've read, I've read it before. I read it all the time. It's kind of our thing. And he would just be amazed. He'd be like, I never knew God said that or God did that. I didn't realize how this was supposed to work. I didn't know I was supposed to forgive people. Merciful, patient, kind, seriously? And he started, he started to encounter his heavenly father in his word. He changed in four years. I watched him melt into the softest, most tender, kind, thoughtful, and generous person. You would not believe the transformation we saw before the Lord finally took him home. We got, guys, we've got to connect with our father. We have a big brother who's done everything for us. He's our savior and king. He's, he's reconnected us to our father. I don't start my affirmations with the one that I read to you about my kids. That's way down the list. Here's the one I start with. I am created by God in his image, loved by him as my father, accepted by him in his son, Jesus, and empowered to live for him by his Holy Spirit. I am who he says I am. I can do what he says I should do. And I will live today in faith and in faithfulness. I care way too much about the wrong things and far too little about the right things. God help me to walk in your priorities and in integrity. I wanna walk in truth and in love. I am naturally preoccupied with myself but created by God to walk with him and be focused on others. Holy Spirit, speak to my heart today to walk in love and help me to be mindful of you and others more than myself. I gotta say that to myself every day. At one point, the thought crossed my mind, do you really have to do this every day forever? And after four years, my answer is yes, I do. And so I will. I will build upon a fatherly foundation. I will remind myself every day that my best life and the brightest future for my children does not rest upon me, it rests upon him. And so I wanna rest upon him. And so I'm gonna live in truth and in reality and independence. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about God as father more densely than any other place in Matthew's gospel. And so I don't know how far away from this reality you feel or how hopeless you feel about creating a legacy of love from wherever you're starting, but I can tell you this. Jesus said it in Matthew 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and it will be open for everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. To the one who knocks, it will be opened. And he gives this example. Which one of you, if a son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And you know how we know that's true and will be true for the end of time? Did any of you guess which chapter has no reference to fathers in it at all? The only chapter in Matthew's gospel where a father is absent? It's chapter 27, the crucifixion of Jesus. where he was orphaned and abandoned so that you could be welcomed. And if God would give you his only son, his perfect son, how will he not also along with him give us all things? Do you wanna leave a legacy of love? Build on a fatherly foundation. We're gonna close with a song. And I, 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 wanna, 
I wanna ask some of the, the men in the room to consider a humbling act. An act where you, like me, have to say, I can't do this on my own. I wanna invite you as an act of contrition, of dependence, to come up to the front of the room during this last song and to put your hands out just like this to receive from your heavenly father what he has promised to give you and what maybe you've been trying to live without. It's what you truly need to leave a legacy of love. And that may be uncomfortable for you and no one's gonna make you do it. I won't have the ushers prod or poke you. (laughs) But to walk up and to say, God, I can't do this on my own if I'm honest. And he goes, I know, that's why I helped. And so come get what you need from me. Amen. We pray for us. God, I thank you for every person in the room, male, female, young and old, faith-filled and excited, hopeless and dark. God, I thank you that you see us as we truly are. That just like you brought Jesus into being from father to father to father to father, family to family, you have created us in this moment and you desire and have designed to walk with us through life, to forgive us of every sin and to empower us to live lives that look like you. And so God, I pray, Lord, as we respond, Lord, if anyone feels that emptiness, that need, that brokenness, that inability, Lord, that we would come to you and ask and encounter a good, good father who loves to give good gifts to his children. And God, I pray today might be the first day for many where we begin to build on a fatherly foundation. We love you and thank you for what you want to give to us in this moment and how you will walk with us in the moments to follow. In Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said, Let's stand.